The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Uh, we're going to be in the book of James today. Uh, we've been going through the book of James. This will be our ninth uh, sermon in James. And so if you want to follow along with us, uh, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to be. As I look through the scriptures, I see... Verses over and over and over again about God's power and God's wisdom and God's knowledge and God's sovereignty and his goodness. Because ultimately when I read the scriptures, I see that the scriptures are ultimately about God. We play a role, but our role in the scriptures is not very pretty. To be honest with you, a lot of times we fall away, a lot of times we run away, a lot of times we go the other direction. But when I read the scriptures, I see God is powerful in so many mighty ways. And so uh, there's so many verses, but one that really comes to my mind is is found in Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, it says that, that he is the image of the invisible God, that he's the firstborn among all creation. It talks about how all things were created in heaven and earth, and he is above all things, and through him all things hold together. He is before all things. He is the head of the body in the church. It says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. That's what the entire story of God is about, is that in Jesus Christ, everything was created. In Jesus Christ, everything holds together. In Jesus Christ, he is over and above all things, so that in Jesus Christ, he might receive all the glory and all the honor and all the worthiness that is to be to Jesus. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, he wants to reconcile to himself all things. He wants to put everything that's broken back together, not only in the universe, but in your personal lives. This is a story about God's sovereign plan. He wants to put all things together, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. When I think of the sovereignty of God and the bigness of God, there's nothing that's been created that's not been created by him. There's nothing in all of creation that he doesn't rightly stand over and rule over and is glorified over. When I think of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, a big verse that comes to my mind that I run to often is found in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. It says, it says, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. It's like his ways and his knowledge and his wisdom is so far and so high and so above anything that we could ever think or imagine. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. I think sometimes when we grow up or when we think about God, So many of us have a real little, uh, maybe a small view of God. Maybe you've come in here today and you just had a small view of God's glory or God's power or God's wisdom or God's knowledge. And we just simply have this this view that maybe God is handicapped or strained in some way. I I don't know. Do you guys like like movies? You watch movies? 
I don't know if, if the media does this, but, but there's this picture, particularly if you watch some of the darker movies, that there's this picture of, of maybe the, the evil versus good or darkness versus God, and it always seems like the, the enemy's always winning, right? It always seems like God's back is against the wall, like he doesn't know what he's going to do, right? He like maybe there's one card left in the deck that he could play to somehow get out of this situation, Right, And so we think that maybe the enemy's winning. But listen, the Bible has a very different picture of good versus evil. Listen, it says that when Jesus shows up on the scene, there's no arguments between demons and Jesus. You realize that? There's no battles between demons and Jesus. You know, Jesus shows up in the body. When I see Jesus show up where a demon-possessed uh, man is there, the demon-possessed man falls on the ground and begs, please don't destroy me. That's not a battle. That's not a fight. <laughs> he knows that, that Jesus is over him, over all things. They are helpless. Listen, when you, when you look at Jesus and, and his rule and his power and his goodness over all things, you, you look at in the, in, the, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and you see the, the battle of Armageddon. Now, dudes are getting excited now because we like battles, right? In the battle of Armageddon, uh, Revelation uh, uh, 16, 17, 18, it talks about this battle where, where all the armies, all the evil is, is gathered against God to fight. Right? And then in Revelation 19, Jesus shows up. And he shows up, and he's riding a white horse, and he's got a sword, and he's dressed in white, and his robe is dipped in blood, and he's coming to make war, and he's coming to fight. Let me just give you a side note here. If you show up to a fight and you're wearing white, you're tough. <laughs> Amen? I mean, you don't even plan on getting dirty. Listen, he shows up and bam, it's over. That's it. There is, no, there is no back and forth, you know. Jesus is over all things. He is more powerful than anything. He has more wisdom than anyone. He has great knowledge that goes beyond anything that we can even fathom or even think of. And so, and so God... It says in the Psalms that he's over the heavens, he's over the earth, he's over everything under the earth. It says he's in control of the seas and the stars and the wind and the rain and the sun and the moon, and he rules over kings and countries, every country. He says that he rules over men and women, both young and old. There is not a speck of anything that's been made that's not been made outside of him. Listen, there's, there's not one moment in all of life that he is not rightly sovereign over. I want you to get that picture of God here today. I want you to get that picture of that God in your life today. Not only is God all-powerful, and not only is he all-knowing, but he knows every detail at every level. Listen, he knows every event that's ever happened. And he knows how every event that's happened has led into other events that lead into other events that lead into other events that actually have brought you here today. He knows every event. He knows, he knows every thought that's ever been thought. He knows every word that's ever been spoken. He knows every idea. He knows every intention. He knows every person's thought throughout all of history, every man, woman, and child that's ever been alive. He knows it all. Now, not only is God all-powerful, and not only is he all-knowing, but, but he's, he's everywhere. Like, do you realize that God is as present in this room as he is in heaven right now? 
Like, he sees you. He knows you. It sets him apart from everything else in all of creation. Now, now if that's our view of God, listen to me. Look, look right at me. If that's true about God, I don't care what you got on your ACT or your SAT or how many summa cum laude degrees. <laughs> I even say that right? I don't care how many trophies, how many accolades, how many plaques, how many rewards you have hanging on your wall. In comparison to God, you cannot see the forest through the trees. You can't. You're, you're, you're so small in the grand scheme of your life. You can't see it. You don't know it. You don't understand it. But listen to me. God does. And God can. And God is good. Listen, some of you, you've walked in this morning, and you're just like, how do I know that God is good? Listen, God is good because of the cross. We see it in the cross. He is good, and it is displayed on the cross. Listen, because God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing, and God holds everything together, he rendered it all to pay a ransom for you and me. He rendered it all, and he said, I'm coming to get them. I'm coming to bring them back to me. And the cross, it takes all of our sin, it takes all of our shame, it takes all of our guilt, and all of the wrath of God that is stored up before us and put it on himself on the cross of Christ. And in so doing, he gifts us his righteousness. It's one thing to take away sin, isn't it? It's one thing to take away shame. It's a whole other thing to gift us by his grace, his righteousness, so that we can stand before a holy God in Christ and be pure, holy, and blameless. Now, now here's the crazy thing. Despite this understanding of God, despite this understanding of God's power and God's wisdom and God's knowledge, we live in an arrogant, arrogant world. Don't we? I mean, I mean, we live in a world where we're saying, I know what's best. I know what's right. It's my way. I know what's going on. I've got this figured out. I'm organized. I'm a good manager. Just look at my calendar. It's color-coded. Right? And quite frankly, at times, we're, we're, if we're honest, we'd say, man, look how awesome I am. Look at how good I'm doing. Look at how well I've got everything planned out. Now, now I'm going to be honest with you. Just, if we were to look at the scriptures, there's probably not a sin that God despises more than pride. Not one thing. It actually says that God opposes the proud. Which is why I'm constantly pleading with you and I'm constantly asking God to reveal to me any self-reliance in my life so that maybe pride can be removed from me and I can depend completely and ultimately on the one who's glorified above all things. Because if it's true that he has more wisdom and more power and more knowledge and I am completely dependent on him, I'm asking him, God, reveal to my heart where there's pride. Reveal to my heart where there's arrogance so that that can be taken away from me, which leads us right into this little section in James chapter 4, where he begins to address this 
this arrogance of the people. Look at what it says in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. I love the way this text starts off. You know what he says? He says, he says come on now. That's like translating it today. He's like, come on, man. Look at your life. He's like, come on. What, you, what, what do you think? Are you kidding me? I could just hear it in his voice. Come on now. Are you serious? He says, he says do you honestly think that you're in control? Do you honestly think that you control any of this? He's like, come on now, you're actually going to make plans and you're going to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do, this is where I'm going to go, this is how I'm going to be. There is an arrogance that comes from making plans apart from God. There is. When we decide to do something apart from really seeking the will of God, there is an arrogance that's built up. There is a pride that is built up in us to think, oh man, I've got this. Have you ever considered that your every breath is actually in his hands? Have you ever considered that, that even this morning and this afternoon and tomorrow, he actually holds in his hands? Have you ever considered that? that he, it says that he controls everything by the word of his power. Now, now hear me, because I don't want you to be confused. Because James is not teaching that we shouldn't have future plans. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't make plans for today or tomorrow. Or if we do make plans, that we better say, if the Lord wills. That's not what he's saying. We know that James is not teaching that because, because making plans is not wrong or sinful. You realize that, right? I mean, there is, uh, there, is, there is over and over and over again times in the scriptures where it says making plans is wisdom. And actually planning is a virtue from God. So we can't be teaching that you shouldn't make plans. The Proverbs is filled. It's filled with what it means to have wisdom and executing on a plan. So we know that planning is not wrong or sinful. Nor is he saying that every time I talk about my plans, I should say, if the Lord wills. Seems kind of silly. Eric, what are you going to do for lunch today? Mexican? If the Lord wills. Right? Can we all just agree that Mexican is the will of the Lord? <laughs> that goes without saying. 
So, so what is it? What is it that's really happening here? Okay, look in verse 14. He says, yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Can we be honest with that? That is true. There's not one person in here whose life cannot change with a phone call. He says, he says come on. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This word mist, it's, it's translated kind of like a vapor. He says, what's your life? It's a, it's a mist. Now listen, don't think, of, don't think of the fog that sits like over the, over the grass in the morning. And don't think of the fog that comes in in the evening and it looks like it's really hard to see. It's kind of cool. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking more like, like, like the, the e-cig. You've seen that? <laughs> right? You've seen that, right? That's the, it's, like, it's like there, but then in a second it's gone. He's talking about the, the tea kettle that's sitting there boiling water and it, and it shouts out and the, and the mist actually goes about a foot and a half and then you can't see it anymore. He says, that's your life. That's your life. It's a mist. It's a moment. It's a vapor. He, he, he says, he says Are you, you're, you're like a mist that's here for a moment and then you say, you know what I'm going to do? Today I'm going to do that. And tomorrow I'm going to do this. And the next year from now, I'm going to do this. It's like, it's like he's saying, are you kidding me? Don't you know your life is but a vapor? James' point, that since our lives are a mist and a vapor that come in a moment and then vanish, he says, you need to set your mind and set your thoughts on Bigger matters. Bigger matters than simply doing this today or that tomorrow or making a profit. He says you need to set your, your eyes on bigger matters. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life, or God's mission for your life before you make plans? Honestly. Do you consider God's will before you, you decide to do this or that today or tomorrow or next year? Do you ever consider God's will? James' point is that future plans are right and good. But let us not make plans without considering what the big purpose that God has us here for. Don't be deceived. Your life, it has a purpose. Your life, it has, it has meaning. And listen, the reason why God created you, the reason why God saved you is for a purpose. It's for a reason. He wants to see his will be done in your life and through your life. Do you consider God's will when you make your plans? Look in verse 15. He says, He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. It's true. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Verse 16. As it is, as it is right now, 
What you're doing, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is equal. He says, the way that you're living right now, it's evil. Because you're making plans to be about your kingdom and your prosperity rather than asking the Lord, Lord, what's your will for me? What's your purpose for me? Where do you have me today in this moment that I can be about you and your glory? He says, the way you're living right now, church, that's what he says, it's, it's arrogant. Do you truly desire the Lord's will to be done in your life? Do you? Are you truly submitting your life to the Lord's will? Or are you just simply making your plans and then asking God to bless them? Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this today, that tomorrow, next year I'm going to go over here. And I wish, I hope you could be able to maybe give me a blessing on that. Is that what we do? Or do you consider the calling that God has for your life? And the purpose and the will that he has for you here now and today. Look, there's a sovereign king of glory who has a particular purpose and a mission for your life. He's created us and saved us for a reason. And he has called us into himself. And that calling should drive everything we do. Listen, James is saying your faith as the church, should not be pulled out and separated from the rest of your life. He's saying the fact that you've died to yourself and you've been bought with a price and you've been born again, that should actually fuel everything that you do. So it's not, it's not okay, I, I gather over here, I got this over here, I got this over here, and then, and then God's somewhere in that. He says, he says no. That's what we need to set our hearts and our minds to what God's will is. Look in, um, look in Colossians chapter 3. I think, I've got, I think I've got it up here. Do I have that one? Yeah, well, let's look right here. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above. Now listen, there's a, there's a prerequisite to that because he's actually talking to believers right now. He's talking to those who've given their life to Jesus. Listen, if you're in the house this morning and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, listen, this will be weighty and hard for you because there's nothing in you that actually wants God. You need the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to you the fact that you need a Savior. Call yourself to Jesus and let Jesus renew your heart, renew your mind, renew your soul and buy you. Look, look, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth, for you have died. How many of you have died? Because if you've really died, why are we living for ourselves? Amen. He says, you've died. And your life now is hidden with Christ and God. Which, by the way, is the greatest life. A life has been reborn. He says, your life now is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is what? Who is your life, appears. You will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, I love this little phrase because I think it's what James is trying to get to. He's saying, he's saying it means all your plans today, all your plans tomorrow, all the years to come are to be fueled by the fact that Christ is my life. 
He's my life. He holds everything together. So when I think about things like family vacation, some of you got a family vacation plan in the summer. Maybe you just went on one. Maybe you came back from one. Maybe you got one coming up in spring break. When I think about family vacation, what fuels that? What fuels your business trips? What fuels the decision that you make on a daily basis? What fuels your plans? Listen, vacation is rest, isn't it? But when Christ is my life, it's fueled by the fact that I have an opportunity to pour into my wife and pour into my children and raise them up as disciples of Jesus without any other distractions around. That I can actually take some time off work and actually spend some time building up the church that God has placed me over. That's the mission, that's the calling that he's placed me in. And so, and so let me ask you, when you make plans today or tomorrow or this year or next year, listen, what are they fueled by? Is Christ your life? When I think about Christ being my life, I want to give financially generously because Christ is my life. I want to pour into my wife. I want to make plans to love my wife and lead my wife and pour into my kids and raise them up as God's commanded me to because Christ is my life. I want to make disciples here, there, and everywhere. I want to help grow the church and pour into you because Christ is my life. It's not separate. It's not I got a hobby over here and a job right here and a family over here and Christ is somewhere over here. That's not how James is calling us to live. He says when you do that, it's pretty arrogant. To have areas of your life where you say, no, 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 this is mine, I give you Sundays. You know what that's like? That's like, that's like my wife coming to me and I'm saying, no, 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 leave me alone, babe. It's not date night. I'm making plans over here, and when it's time, I'll ask you to, I'll ask you to accept them. That's, that's not Christ is your life. James is saying, listen, come on. Do you ever submit to God's will and God's plan in your life? Now, if this is true, if it's about submitting to God's will and God's mission and God's plan for us, look at how he ends in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and fails to do it, sins. Are you doing the good that you know you ought to do? Are you really submitting to what God's plan is and purpose is for your life? Are you doing the good that you know he ought to do? He's not saying, are you not doing the things that you know you shouldn't do? That's not what he's saying. Listen, this is much more aggressive than that, isn't it? He's not there saying, oh, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. He's saying, are you doing the things that God has placed in you to do? Because if not, that's a sin. Are you really following God's call and God's will and God's pull and God's purpose for your life? Because if not, you're falling short. You're falling short. He said, are you doing the right things that you know you should be doing? It's not, it's not, let me not do wrong. 
So many people were caught up with, you know, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do this. But really, James gets to the heart of the matter. But are you really chasing God? Is Christ your life? Are you making plans apart from him and asking him to bless it? Are you asking God, God, what is your plan for me? And I think if we were honest, I know this is church. May not be the place to be honest, right? Many of us walked in with masks on already, trying to play the part, looking all snazzy, like you got everything together. But listen, if we were honest, when I read verse 17, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it sins, if we were honest, we would say, I fall short. I miss the mark. I know a lot more than I obey. Anyone else? Yeah. I think the purpose of James writing it in this way is to really reveal the fact that we do fall short so that we would fall on the one whose grace is sufficient for us. It would reveal to us where we're broken so that we would run to Jesus as our Savior so that in the end he would be honored and glorified and he would show his mighty power. I think if we were honest and we would confess that, that we would find that Jesus is the one who can fulfill us and set us back on track. Listen, Jesus knew what he was buying on the cross. Do you realize that? He knew exactly what he was getting when he paid the price. Listen, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't purchase you get you home, open the box, and be like, ew! I'm taking this one back. Listen, that's not, that's not the cross, man. That's not how God operates. Jesus knew exactly what he was buying when he went to the cross. He doesn't have any buyer's remorse. He looks in there, and he's like, I know it's broken. That's why I bought you. That's why I'm here, because he, he came and he opened it up and he said, man, this is mine and it's beautiful and I'm making it and I'm putting all things back together through my death and my resurrection. Listen, he knew exactly what he was buying. Listen, I, I think of this, this time when, when, when my kids were learning to walk. Listen, they, had, they were just little toddlers and they had giant heads and real little feet. <laughs> Some of you are in that stage right now, right? And you're setting them down on the ground, and they just start wobbling, right? And they take a step. And you know what happens when they take a step? The parents, they rejoice. Woo! Did you see it? He took a step. I think it was two. That was actually stumbling. No, he was walking. <laughs> right? But, but listen, as, as, a, as a dad, as a loving father, I would rejoice in every step. And when they fell, I never got mad at them. I never said, oh, man, what's wrong with you? Your head's too big. <laughs> right? I mean, what do you, you do? You, you, you pick them up. And you say, I got you, buddy. I got you. Let's do this. Let's do this again. And he set us back down. And he would rejoice in every step. And he never gets angry with us when we stumble and fall. Listen, he knows we're arrogant. 
He knows we make plans without him. He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're needy. But he's not angry. He rejoices in every step. And he picks you up. And he says, no, no, no. Let's go. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. Let's go. Right? And when we fall, he says, I paid for that. All that sin and all that shame and everything that separates me from God, he says, it's okay, I got you. I paid for that. That's why I died. That's why I raised. Now he picks you back up and he says, let's go. Let's go. I'm going to be honest. There's a great price for your sin. There's a great price for your shame and guilt. There's a great price for forgiveness. And Jesus wants us to be reminded of that. And when he was gathering with his followers, he says there is a great price that needs to be paid to make you right. And he says, he says this is the price. This is a picture of the price. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Take and when you do, remember the price has already been paid. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he says, this is my blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And when you do, do it in remembrance of me. Remember that it's not your performance, it's my perfect performance on your behalf. So today, I'm going to ask you, church, some of you, you just simply need to confess, I've been living my life on my own terms. I've been making plans outside of God's will, and I've really been asking God to just bless whatever I do, rather than asking him what his purpose and mission for me is. And so today, before you come to the table, I would encourage you, just confess that. Be honest with God and say, Lord, this is where I'm at. And then as you understand his gospel, understand his forgiveness, come to the table, take, and remember him. Some of you are here this morning, and, and, and you know the good you ought to be doing. You know the will of God that's bringing you, pulling you, stretching you, and you've neglected it. Listen, confess it. Lean on Jesus. Come to the table and remember that his body and his blood makes you whole. The Bible says that we should examine ourselves before we approach the altar of the table. And so I'm asking you right now, just examine where you're at. This thing is sacred for believers. If you're not a believer in here, you don't, I would encourage you not to come to the table. But if you are a believer, even if you've fallen short, his grace is sufficient. Come and remember him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's many of us here this morning, including myself, God, that feel like there's ways that I've fallen short. I'm not living up to 
ultimately what you called me to. And so, Lord, I'm not praying for more strength of my own. I'm praying for your strength. I'm asking now, God, that you would empower us and fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we would be walking according to your will, that we would be seeking your will and your kingdom first above all things, that we would ask you, God, truly, Lord, your will be my will, your heart be my heart. And Lord, today, we confess, I've lived a pretty arrogant life, and I confess there's times where I know what I should do, and I neglect it. Jesus, I'm leaning upon you and your cross this morning for the forgiveness of all the ways that I've fallen. And I'm trusting that you hold all things together, that your cross was enough, your blood was enough, your resurrection is powerful in my life. Confessing now to make me new. Make me new again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.